0: Now, last week... Frosty brought a pretty incredible message, didn't he? A very challenging message for all of us because we're launching into a new series, Church 1.0, which is all about digging into the book of Acts, which is all about the powerful practices of the early church. If you've never read the book of Acts, I encourage you to do so. It will change your faith. It will transform you from the inside out to see what the disciples went through in order to start the early church. And I'm excited to bring you guys part two this week. But I figured before we jump into that, I want us to re on the scripture that this whole series is based around. It's in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. You can read it on the screen with me, in your notes, in your Bible, whatever your preference is. But it says, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, So, the early church was committed to four things that they would do regularly listening to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship, which is a fancy Christian word for basically having time together with other believers. Breaking of bread, which is communion, but also just having meals together and prayer. And so Frosty looked at the first one of these last week with his message titled, The Value of a Sunday. Why it's important that we gather together as one big body on a Sunday to hear the teaching of the word, to gather together in corporate worship. And today I want to start to unpack that second thing, which is fellowship. And as Wayne Alcorn would say, this is not just some fellows in a ship, but this is having consistent community with other believers. And so today, I want to talk to you on the value of a small group. The value of a small group. You know, it was a small group that absolutely changed my faith. It was a small group that led to my salvation many years ago. You see, one day you're going to hear my whole story, but for now I'll give you the brief version for the sake of time. But what you need to know is that back in 2012, I came to New Zealand very stressed from the last four years I had spent at uni. I came anxious, arriving into a new country where I knew absolutely no one and I just had a suitcase and I arrived at a hostel about 5 a.m. in the morning and I was confused and searching for my purpose in this life. It didn't matter that I had a degree in psychology to my name or a job offer at a consulting firm in Boston or a resume that could get me in most stores. I had no idea what I was meant to do. And so I was traveling the world trying to figure out what I was creating to do. And so that's how I arrived here. And just a month and a half into my time in New Zealand, I hit a low point. And in that low point, I actually cried out to God. And I said, God, I know you're real, but I don't really know if you care. And so right now, if you do care, what I need right now is friends, like the good kind of friends the friends that won't allow me to go back into these worldly habits that I depend on when I get lonely and desperate. And so in that moment, I Googled contemporary churches near Howick because that's where I was living at the time, and Elam Christian Center Botany popped up. I walked there that Sunday. I came back the following Sunday, and I was introduced to a small group. That small group invited me to come hang out with them after church. They were going to grab dinner and go hang out at uh, one of the flats and just watch a movie. And so I didn't know these people. They were complete strangers to me, but they invited me to come to dinner. And I said, yes. And I hopped into a stranger's car and I went to Wendy's with them and got some Wendy's, went to some random person's flat where there was a group of young adults hanging out. This was a small group. It wasn't their regularly scheduled small group time, but they were a small group that was doing life together and simply hanging out after church, and they invited me in. That small group became my small group. Those people became the friends that I had asked God for, the good kind of people, the kind of people that would completely alter my life trajectory. See, if it wasn't for that small group of people, I wouldn't be standing here preaching to you today. I wouldn't be married to Frosty, and I would not be in New Zealand seven years later. It it was that small group that kept me in church. You know, I could tell you story after story that will tug on your heartstrings about how small groups change people's lives, but today I want to do a little bit more than that. Today I want us to ground ourselves in the biblical foundation of small groups, in the powerful practices of the early church, because we need to ask a big question about small groups? Is it a good idea or is this God's idea? Is this God's idea that we would gather together on a Sunday as one big body but then meet with smaller groups of believers throughout the week? Is it God's idea that we should be a part of consistent community with other believers or is it okay for me to just come on a Sunday but not do all that other church stuff, right? I'm the, type of, the per- type of person that loves evidence, so I wanna give you a few pieces of evidence that you can find in scripture that do in fact suggest this is 100% God's idea. Are you ready? You've got some notes, uh, some lines there to take notes, but let's look at some theological evidence. You know, we sang a, a new song this morning and I love that song so much. Did you guys enjoy that song? So powerful. But it mentions something in there that maybe you don't realize the significance of. See, God is the Trinity. He's three in one. He's three persons, one God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when he created mankind in his image, he actually created humanity out of community for community. Because the Trinity, if it's three persons in one, that's community. We were never designed to do life solo on our own. So theologically, the Trinity is community. Call it the first small group if you want to. But even when Jesus... Even when Jesus came to this earth, he gathered 12 disciples. He said, hey, follow me, hey, follow me. He gathered these 12 disciples together to do life with them, to teach them, to empower them. Jesus himself was a small group leader, theologically. God is community, and he created us for community. Then there's sociological evidence. How are we meant to function in society? As humans, how are we supposed to function in society so we know that we were designed in the image of God from community for community? And when God was creating the world in the book of Genesis, maybe you've started there and you've read the creation account, but when God created things, at the end of each day, he would step back and he'd say, it is good, right? He created Light. He said, let there be light. And he goes, ooh, that's good. Let there be sky. That's nice. All right, all right. Let there be land and seas. Oh, look at that, y'all. Y'all meaning his son, Holy Spirit, Father. See, they're all together. They're y'all. That's the original (laughs) y'all. He said, let there be a sun and moon and stars. Because I imagine this—if I was creating something, this is how I'd do it. I wouldn't just speak it. I'd want to just add some dance moves in. He said, "Look at that! Ooh, let's create some animals for the sea and for the land. Check out that giraffe, y'all. That's good." And then he said, "Let there be a man. Ooh, that's not so good." He said. He said it is not good for man to be alone. So he created a helper suitable for him, introducing woman. Boys couldn't do it without us. But loneliness is not good. In the beginning, when when humanity was created, the original intention was that we would dwell together. We would be together. We would produce good things together. Loneliness is not good. See, why do you think that the punishment for prisoners who misbehave while in prison is solitary confinement? Loneliness is not good. And so they actually use it as a form of punishment. As social beings, we were created for community. And then finally, I wanna talk about some organizational evidence because some of you might be thinking, well, why do we as a church put so much structure around small groups? Is the structure of small groups still God's idea? Well, let's go a few chapters later in the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter six, starting in verse one. It says, in those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, look, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumba, not Pumba, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread, and it says the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Y'all, the early church was growing, and the 12 disciples said, look, we can't handle all of this responsibility ourselves. And so they appointed other people to look after smaller groups of people, smaller ministries, as the gospel message was being spread, as more people were being saved, that meant that there were more people to care for, and they realized they needed help. Now, they were 12 people. Frosty and I are just two. The reality is the two of us cannot care for every single need in this church. We weren't created to. We weren't called to. We can't physically do so. So like the original disciples, we have recognized that there's certain things that God has asked us to do, but there's also certain things that we can equip others to do and raise other people up in leadership to focus on smaller groups of people. That's why we hand over responsibility to our small group leaders to care for the needs of smaller groups of people. See, when we equip leaders like this to lead smaller groups of people, that means that more people can be taken care of that more needs can be ministered to, that more people can be prayed for, and the numbers of disciples can radically increase, and the church can grow and expand. Even in the book of Exodus, we see the same thing. Back in the Old Testament, before the early church was even starting, Moses is having this issue where he's trying to care for all of the needs of the people, and his father-in-law Jethro comes along to see what's going on. So we read in chapter 18, starting in verse 14. Jethro says, what is this you're doing for all the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people around you are coming here from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. And Jethro replies, look, what you're doing is not good. You and these people come to you who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. Look, you gotta be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him, but teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them how they should live, how they should behave and select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials, get this, over thousands hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, and they can bring the big things to you, but they can deal with the simple things themselves. Look, if you do this, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain, and everyone will go home satisfied. Y'all, even in the Old Testament, God was leading people to structure from the very beginning, In order for us to reach as many people as possible in this community, in order for your leaders, us to stand the strain, in order for everyone to go home satisfied, we need small groups. We need to be in small groups. See, God has equipped people to lead thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and can I tell you, the person who leads 10 is just as valuable as the person who leads 1,000. They are both needed in the kingdom. So we now have all of this evidence that says, yes, this is 100% God's idea. But now it presents a new question for us. See, the new question is, okay, so it's God's idea, but what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? I've got three things that it's going to mean for you. And this is important, so I want you to take notes on this. But a small group is a place for you to be known. It's a place for you to be known. You know, in the launch phase of this church, we are like, almost a full year out from when our first small groups launched. Our first small groups launched last week, last year. Um, And our small group, our, our launch team grew and grew over a few months. Up until our launch day, we had about 130 people in our launch team. And I can tell you, I knew every single person on our launch team by name. I knew all of their kids' names. I knew all their stories. I knew it all. But I also knew that as our church grew, it was going to be harder for me to continue to know every single detail about every single person. I get a chance to know people's stories when they come through growth track because I can journey with that person for four weeks in a row. And I can get to know them on a personal level. But the reality is, as we grow, there will be more people that will walk in that I sadly won't yet know by name. And the reality is, if you come in when the service is starting and you leave shortly after, I probably won't get to meet you fully and properly like I want to. And it's going to be harder for me to know everybody on a personal, intimate level. And that's a really hard pill for me to swallow as one of your pastors. Because I like knowing people's stories. I like knowing people's names. Because I know that there's so much power in knowing someone's name. Because did you know that a person's name to that person is actually the sweetest sound? It is. When somebody says your name, they know that you know them. There is power in knowing somebody's name. And my heart, as your pastor, is that every single person in this church would be known by name. My heart is that every single person's story would be known. That every person's kids would be known. That's my heart. But the greatest way we can do that is to follow the examples set by the disciples and by Moses. And empower our small group leaders to look after smaller groups of people. Even Jesus looked after his small group. We read in John 17, 9, he's praying to the father and he says, I pray for them, meaning his disciples. I I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. He's praying for his disciples by name. Jesus himself was praying for them because he knew them. He knew them intimately. And can I tell you, you need a small group leader to pray for you by name. You need a small group leader to know you, know your story, and pray for you by name. If you want to be known, get into a small group. See, a small group is also a place for you to be uplifted. It's a place for you to be uplifted. Frosty mentioned this verse last week, but I want to say it again. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, when you're in a small group of believers, I promise you that you will be uplifted in your faith. You will be uplifted in your spirit. You will be uplifted in the truth, the revelation knowledge that God can bring us through his word because the reality is we all face stormy seasons. We all have bad days, right? Some of us probably had a bad day this week. We all have days where we just don't wanna get out of sweatpants, where we don't wanna get out of bed, We all have days where sometimes we just wanna cry and can I tell you when the storm hits, you need a small group of believers to rally around you in those moments. See, imagine that Jesus only had one original disciple. Imagine there was just one original disciple and this one person had the sole responsibility of spreading the gospel and starting the early church. Now, I don't know about you, but this would have been pretty hard because the disciples were persecuted hardcore. Meaning they were tested, beaten, whipped, mocked, thrown in jail, ridiculed, but they faced it together as a group. How long would have one lasted? I don't know. It's hard to say, but I know it would have been a whole lot tougher if you were the only one who had seen the risen Messiah and you were trying to convince the world to believe you. But they were a small group of believers that could face that storm together. And despite what they faced, they could come back together at the end of a long, rough day in those early days when they were facing persecution hardcore. They could come back together in fellowship over a meal and pray. And because of their commitment, not just to the gospel, but to each other, the early church was born. And because of that small group of disciples, we can now openly profess our faith as Christians today. It was a small group that started the early church. You know, when I ran a coffee group for some high school girls out in Botany, I remember one day there was a young girl who went to Botany College and she came, arrived at my coffee group and just slumped into the chair. She was looking worse for wear and she said, I have had the worst day, but I knew it was going to be okay because I got to see you today. As she looked around at this group of girls that was staring back at her, her day She was only able to face it because she knew there was a group of girls waiting for her after school that were going to look out for her. Being connected to a small group of believers will uplift you in your faith because it's going to help you go deeper into the word. It will uplift you in your spirit by strengthening your character and also your dependence on God, but also uplift you in the truth because you need people to keep you accountable to God's plan for your life. Which brings me to my final thought, and the band can join me now. But a small group is a place for you to be sharpened. It's a place for you to be sharpened. As Pastor Chris Hodges says, we are all one step away from stupid. We are. This is true, though. Sometimes we're not the sharpest tool in the shed. Sometimes we don't make all the best decisions, and we need people around us to keep us accountable before we do something stupid. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. A little typo in your notes. It's twenty seven seventeen. It says, "As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another." Iron sharpens iron. Y'all looking at me like I say that funny. I'm sorry. I can't say it like (laughs) y'all. At least I don't say it like some country people. They say iron. Um, But it doesn't say. It doesn't say that water sharpens iron. It doesn't say that wood sharpens iron. It says iron sharpens iron. I want you to get why this is so important. Frosty, can you hand me that (laughs) ax? It says iron sharpens iron. Now, this is pretty dull and rusty, right? And the only way to sharpen this, because it's not going to cut me because it's not sharp enough, The only way to sharpen this is to get around some other iron. Another ax has to come against it, or a grinding wheel. You know, this this ax, it could spend a lot of time with some wood, but what, what is that wood gonna do to it? Gonna make it dull. It could spend a lot of time with some water, but what's that water gonna do to it? Gonna make it rusty. And we got a lot of Christians that spend a lot of time with some wood or with some water, and they walk into church looking all dull and rusty, because they haven't been around other believers throughout the week that are willing to sharpen them and come alongside them. See, this can't actually do what it's fully created to do because it's not sharp enough at the moment. Y'all know how frustrating it is when you get that dull knife and you're trying to cut through some bread? Like, goodness gracious. If it's not sharp enough, it can't do what it was created or called to do. And the only way to sharpen this is to do what? Get around some other iron. Believers sharpen other believers. But you know what happens is we walk in like this and we get used to the grit and the rust that has covered our lives. Because we know the sharpening process actually hurts. It's uncomfortable. Because another ax to come against against this, there has to be some friction that's caused in order to get that rust off, in order to make it sharper so it can do what it's created to do. Iron sharpens iron, so one believer sharpens another. But we avoid that process because it's painful and it's uncomfortable. You know, when I was in primary school, I took a a tumble on the playground and I cut up my hand real bad. And so the teacher had this older student take me into the bathroom to wash my hand. You can take this back. And I walked into the bathroom and I just start running it underwater. And this older student says, get some soap. And I go, no, no, because I knew what that soap was going to do, right? She said, get some soap. You got to get the dirt out. And so I got some soap, and I started to rub it on my cut-up hand, and y'all, it burned. It burned like crazy. But I knew that I needed that older student's help to teach me how to get the dirt out because I needed to get the dirt out so that I could fully heal and not get an infection and I needed somebody else to come alongside me and say, Darcy, I know this is gonna hurt but this is actually gonna be really good for you in the long run. It's gonna hurt for a moment. It's gonna be uncomfortable for a moment but I need to show you how to get the dirt out of your life. Believers sharpen other believers and you need to have people in your life that will help get the dirt out, help clean up your mess and get around you to sharpen you. Because we're all one step away from stupid we got to let other believers in even when it's confronting even when it hurts because James 5 16 tells us to it says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed Whew! that means you got to get vulnerable to confess your sins to each other it's saying if you do that If you open up, oh, that's like soap on the wound, but you will be healed. Because what if you're in that small group because somebody else has already actually walked through what you're going through, and in fact, they overcome it, and they know how to help get you through it, but in order for them to help get you through it, you gotta open yourself up to them, right? We gotta get around other people that are gonna get the dirt out of our lives and are gonna sharpen us when we need them to, because we all need some sharpening every now and then. We all need spiritual covering from other believers that have been on the journey longer than us. We need some allies in our corner. When the enemy comes to attack us, because he will, and if we're riding solo, it's a lot easier for him to take us out. But if we're in a group, that's more intimidating to him. You need people that will consistently get around you and check on the condition of your soul. You need people that will say, hey, what's your name? What's your story? And how's your soul? You need people in your life. You were created for community, and it was God's idea that the church would grow larger as we also grow smaller into more manageable groups. And if you're not in a small group, can I honestly say to you, you are missing out on so much of what life as a believer could offer you. Don't you wanna be known and prayed for by name? Don't you wanna be uplifted and encouraged when the storm hits? Don't you want to be sharpened and find freedom from the things in your life that have actually tainted you? You could have all of that. If you simply choose to be vulnerable and say yes to getting connected into a small group of believers, choosing to be vulnerable in a moment will actually lead you to more joy and freedom in the long run because you'll finally realize that when you're vulnerable and when you actually open up, There's people around that can help you because you're not supposed to struggle or suffer all on your own. So stop letting loneliness win. We're not created to be lonely. We're created to do life in a group. Stop thinking that you don't need other people, that you're independent. Come on. You need people around you to help you despite how independent you think you are. Stop thinking that church is just this Sunday event that you come to at 10 a.m. and then go home and live the rest of your week. Church is not just a 10 a.m. service. Church is a body of believers that do life together. And the way that we're gonna do life together is like the early church in the book of Acts. We're gonna do it by getting together not just on a Sunday, but also throughout the week in more manageable groups. So get yourself into a small group where you can be known, you can be uplifted, but you can also be sharpened. As a church, we're gonna get behind this powerful practice because this, this is God's idea. And it's been his idea from the very beginning. So I'm gonna close in prayer, but I'm gonna pray for two specific groups today. And the first is I wanna pray for our small group leaders, the people that we have given responsibility to to care for smaller groups of people. So if you are a small group leader or you host a small group in your house, could you just stand to your feet? These people are amazing. These people want to know you. These people want to uplift you. These people want to sharpen you. And you can trust them. We do. So, if small group leaders, would you just lift your hands? God, I pray for these leaders that are standing here so committed to you surrender to you that are opening their arms and their homes to people throughout the week. God, I pray that you would give them courage and strength and boldness. Give them warmth and hospitality and abundance. God, I pray that when people walk into their groups, they feel like they are at home. I pray that people feel like family around them. I pray that people can come to them with open wounds and these leaders can come alongside them and say, hey, what's your name? What's your story? How's your soul? And how can we help? God, I pray that you would use these leaders to transform this community. Community. We've given them responsibility. And God, I pray that you would continue to raise them up, fill their houses to overflowing. And God, we just commit every single small group to you as well. Let it flourish. Let it multiply. Let it have impact and influence beyond measure. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.